David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. We're going to have another great show here today. We're going to have two Boston Red Sox legends from the 1970s and early 80s, Fred Lynn and Jerry Rice. I remember watching these guys play. They were absolutely phenomenal. Fred Lynn, Rookie of the Year, MVP, all in the first year. If he wasn't injured, I think he would have been a sure Hall of Famer. And then his other teammate, Jim Rice, they came up together, and Rice had a phenomenal career, too. He ended up making the Hall of Fame. But we're going to get right to an interview Ellie and I did with Fred Lynn. I see that you grew up in Southern California, and you went to USC, and you played football there and baseball. How did that come about? Well, actually, um, I was a four-sport guy um, back in the day in early California. You know, I ran track, and and then when I got to high school, uh, track conflicted with baseball, so I played baseball, football, and basketball in high school. And I got scholarship offers for basically all three sports, and uh, I, I grew up in the throes of the Coliseum, and I watched O.J. and Garrett and and even John Arnett. So I, you know, I was a big Trojan fan. And when they started recruiting me for football, um, I, I kind of shut everybody else out. And, and that's why I went there. I, of course, I went there to play baseball as well. But uh, I went there on a football scholarship. You'd also been drafted in the baseball draft in the third round in 1970 by the Yankees. Was it difficult to pass that up? Not really. Um, it was the second round, by the way. Um, I was going to okay. be a first rounder with either the Dodgers or Baltimore, but my dad uh, set a, a price where they kind of shied away. You know, we figured if it was going to be six figures, and that was a lot in those days, you know, that would uh, offset a college uh, education. And since I was uh, the first person in my family to go to a university, you know, it was a pretty big deal. So. Um, they shied away, and we didn't think I should be going to be drafted because we told everybody I was going to go to SC, and the, the Yankees drafted me anyway. Um, but I, I will tell you a, a little bit of a backstory why they did. When I was 16 years old, I played on a semi-pro team, and it was sponsored by the New York Yankees. It was in Pasadena, right next to the Rose Bowl, and that's where we played our home games. And it was called the Pasadena Yankees, and it was a traveling team played on Sundays. And I was the youngest kid on the team. And so the Yankees knew about me when I was 16 years old. And I played with, on that team for probably three or four years. And, uh, of course, they, they drafted me because they knew me. Um, even though uh, I, I told them I was going to go to school, they drafted me anyway. And I remember the scout comes to our house. And he just had a little modest little house. And he's, I forget his name. And, and uh, my dad said, well, you know, my son's going to go to USC. He was we're the New York Yankees. And <laughs> you, he had a little bit of uh, arrogance to him, and you know we just sent him away. I, I wasn't going to sign, and I was going to go to SC, and then and that was that. So it wasn't hard to do. If the Dodgers would have came a call, would you have changed your mind, being that you're from California? If I would have been a first rounder, you know, and they would have come up with some serious dough, and that you know I could say six figures in those days was a ton of ton of money, right. and. Um, I don't know if they would or they wouldn't, but when SC 
like I said, when they came around and I signed my letter of intent, you know, that was before the draft, and so I was going to be a Trojan, and they pretty much knew it. Even the Red Sox, I found out, knew about it. And uh, I, re- I saw an old scouting report um, from the Red Sox. Actually, Frank Malzone was scouting me in high school, unbeknownst to me, and I saw it later on. And he said, this kid is a five-tool kid, but he's going to want a lot of money. He's going to go to SC. So a lot of people knew about it, but uh, I, I don't know that uh, anybody wants – um, they knew that I was going to go to SC. Even the Dodgers, because they had close ties with SC, they probably figured they'd just get me three years later. Now, I read somewhere that even though you grew up in Southern California, you were a Giants fan. That's correct. If, if the Giants had drafted you, would that have influenced you? <laughs> you know, that would have been interesting. Um, I don't know what I would have done. It would have been the same scenario, I, I'm sure. You, you know, they would have had to come up with some dough, and I, they probably wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, um, growing up in L.A. and watching uh, the you know, Tommy Davis, Willie Davis, uh, Koufax and Drysdale and that group of guys versus Mays and Marshall and Perry and, and that group up in, in San Francisco, I, I, I just kind of – I, I like the way the Giants play. Of course, I love Mays. So, um, you know, that just kind of drew me to them. The Dodgers were all pitching. You know, they win a lot of games and won nothing. And I was a, a pitcher, so I kind of identified with Koufax being a lefty. But other than that, it was more fun to watch the Giants than it was the Dodgers. Kind of like watching the Cubs and the White Sox back in the day. <laughs> there was nothing good about the Sox back then in the '60s. The Cubs had some great players, just no. Well, pitching. listen, yeah, you know, I'm a Chicago guy. You know, I was born there, and I have a lot of relatives there still. And my dad, uh, we moved out of there like in the early '50s. But I'm still a North Sider, and uh, it was uh, when I did play in the National League for a brief time, and got to play at Wrigley. That was um, that was a lot of fun for me. Did you realize that USC was going to let you play football and baseball, or did you think they were going to make you pick a sport? No, they, 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 being a private institution, you know, they were getting two for one. They were getting, you know, one guy playing two sports, so, you know, they save a scholarship. Um, so they, they encouraged it, actually. They, they, um, unlike some other schools, um, UCLA was foremost in this. Uh, Tommy Prothrow was the head football coach at UCLA, and I was being recruited there. And Dick Vermeil was recruiting me. Um, I'm sure you know who Dick is. Yeah. Thanks. And uh, so we went to a UCLA basketball game, and that's when they had uh, Al Cinder, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and they always took the recruits there because that's when they were just annihilating everybody. And and um, Dick Vermeil was talking to Proto, and, and I'm there with my dad, and he says, yeah, you know, Freddie's a, quite a baseball player. And, and then Proto turns and he looks at me and says, well, you know, we don't really like uh, football players to play baseball. <laughs> and I said, I just looked at my dad and Vermeil's face just sunk. Yeah. And that was it. So yeah, let's scratch like, them off. Yeah, it's like next. Okay. Check check them off the list. Yeah, that it was like that was that. You also had the opportunity after high school to play against the USC varsity, as I understand right. it. And you you got to step in the batter's box against a guy that Chicago Cub fans are familiar with, Dave Kingman. Who yeah, I would think yeah, would, you've done your homework, yeah. <laughs> I think he'd be a pretty formidable force out there. On you put him on that mound, and you know his strides probably gets halfway to home plate before he releases the ball. Well, Dave, you know he pitched a little bit at USC, and in fact, he pitched for the Giants uh, for a little bit. If if 
um, you remember. Uh, and he was about six six, and I, I remember facing him. And I'd never seen anybody throw that hard before. It was kind of a um, an all star team of high school guys and guys that were going to different colleges, and I was going to go to SC, and and SC was kind of tuning up to go to Omaha uh, for the College World Series, and so. Dave's on, and, and he didn't look at you, and he kind of tucked his head down, and then he just his arm was coming to the plate, and then he looked up at the last second and said, like, holy moly. <laughs> and, you know, he's just, just throwing as hard as you can imagine. It looked to me it's like Nolan Ryan. And he walked me on four pitches, and, and after the game, Rod came up to me and says, Tiger, Tiger, I love the way you hung in there against Dave. And I'm thinking, I wasn't going to swing. I was just gonna... <laughs> hoping for a walk and got it. <laughs> as long as you didn't get hit by a pitch, it would have been a successful at bat, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, and he was just throwing smoke. I said, "Wow, is this what it's like going to be facing college guys?" <laughs> what was your favorite position to play with the Trojans? Um, well, when I was uh, for football, I, I was a wide receiver and defensive back, and I ran back punts and kicks. Uh, Lynn Swan and I were teammates, and we did both of those things. And I kind of backed him up as a flanker, and then I played starting corner um, on defense. But I, I really loved. Um, I, I think if I would have played, continue on playing football at Southern Cal, I would have moved over to free safety and it'd been just like playing center field. Uh, you know, I was a pretty good ball hawk and I had pretty good speed and, and I had a pretty good nose for the ball and, and that would have been a really good position for me, but I really loved returning kicks. That's really fun. You know, open field, you have to worry about going to the line and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. And then as far as, um, baseball was because I, I enjoyed pitching and I pitched for quite a while when I was at SC, but I was hitting so much that, you know, Rod just said, that's enough pitching. When did you decide to just dedicate uh, your college career strictly to baseball? Well, baseball, you know, at SC for me, um, I was very fortunate to come in uh, to the university when I did. Um, freshmen were just allowed to play varsity, which was uh, the year before. So that was really cool for me as a freshman. I played a couple of JV games and then um, I went right to the varsity and, uh, we, I, I played really well early um, for Rod and, and the team, and uh, we had a really good team. I think we went 53 and 11 or something like that. Anyway, we won the uh, College World Series, and I was on the all tournament team. Um, and then after that season was over, uh, I was picked to play on the uh, Pan Am team, representing the U.S. in the Pan Am Games, which was going to be held in Cali, Colombia. And so I spent the summer. Uh, barnstorming the eastern seaboard with the team, and then we went down to Cali and um, played played really well. Um, played against Cuba in a gold medal game and lost four to three, so we won the silver medal. And then my next few years at SC um, was All American both years. We won um, College World Series both years, so all three years that I was there, we won. Um, after my sophomore season, uh, I, I represented the United States again, went to Japan, played against their collegiate all-stars, uh, first time that had ever happened, and that was a great experience playing over there. And then uh, my junior year, um, we, like I said, we won again, and then that played on the United States team again, and the Japanese all-stars came over uh, to the United States and, and played uh, our all-stars at Dodger Stadium, Angel Stadium, and and again, that was a great experience for me. So I, I really had a, um, a full college experience at USC, um, winning three national titles, playing international baseball, 
Uh, I got to do a, a ton of things um, that a lot of guys hadn't had done. And those are things that I did early on. That's kind of why I quit playing football because kind of the handwriting was on the wall that uh, I had better things going on for me in, in baseball. When did you have time to study? Pardon me? When did you have time to study? Oh, well, this is all during the summer. You know, school's out. You know, we didn't travel much uh, during the, the session, although my first year was kind of crowded because playing two sports um, and then being at a big university. I came from a, you know, a decent-sized school, but it was it was different. Um, it's that first year, we, it's, it's, an ex, it's being away from home and, and trying to get everything all organized uh, as an 18-year-old. You know, that was tough. But um, I was a, a good student uh, coming out of uh, high school. In fact, I got uh, scholarship offers to Stanford and even Harvard. So, you know, I, I, I did okay in the classroom. <laughs> so did you have to walk into John McKay's office and say, Coach, I'm a baseball player, not a football player anymore? <laughs> yeah, well, there wasn't. Uh, we didn't call him John McKay. We called him God. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, after that first summer that I spent uh, playing, you know, for the Pan Am team, uh, I had to go back and and, and uh, play uh, spring football. It was coming up, and I, Dave Levy called me up and he says, "You're ready to play football." And I said, "Well, I got a, I got a decision to make." And you know, him and Han, and so I had to go into God's office and tell him that I was not going to play any more football, and and looked like baseball was going to go and. And that was daunting. I was 19, and I love football. You know, I, it was a it was a hard decision for me to make. I knew it was a smart move, but I I just oh, I was agonizing over it. And and then going into his office, and he's just sitting there smoking a cigar, and it's all dark. You know, it's like The Godfather. And and he just said to me, he says, you know, I think you're making a mistake. And and that was it. You know, and then he went on to Tampa Bay, and of course I had my career. And I'll fast forward to uh, 1994, I think it was, and the University of Southern California had its first Hall of Fame induction. So Coach McKay and Coach Dato, my football and baseball coaches, were being inducted, and I was the first inductee for baseball. So it was a big old deal, and and, uh, so I'm I'm getting into – just coming out of the, I forget, the Beverly Hilton, Hilton, Wilshire Hotel and going into the limo and I open the door and God's in the backseat. And I haven't seen him in 30 years. And he looks at me and goes, well, guess it wasn't a bad decision after all. <laughs> the first time I saw him in 30 years, he still remembered. So God forgave me. I was very happy. Were there any similarities between uh, McKay and, and Dado as far as coaches? Or are the sports so different that it's tough to compare and contrast? They were very, very different. Um, you know, Coach McKay was pretty silent. You know, he, you know, he had, all, of course, he had what ten assistants, <laughs> and, uh, and and Coach Dado only had two. Um, Rod Dado was a great motivator. You know, he made you nervous by standing behind you and just watching you in practice. But Coach McKay, ooh, he he was fiery. You know, when he lost his temper, whoo, look out. You know, guys would get kicked off, uh, not kicked off the team, but they might get kicked off a training table or kicked off the field. You know, he he, he was volatile um, at times. But um, the three years that I spent with Coach Dato, he never swore one time. 
Uh, but he did it a different way. They were both successful, obviously, both won national titles um, at, during my tenure at SC, um, but they just did it different ways. When the Red Sox drafted you, did you think to yourself, you know what, I think I'm ready for this, or did you think, you know what, I want to take some more time to get ready to play in the major leagues? Oh, I thought I was ready, geez, when I was 19. Um, I, you had to be way too. You were 21 um, to be draft eligible, and um, you, like I said, I had a lot of things that I did um, early on in my career at, at SC. 18, 19 years old, you know, I say playing international baseball, and I, I played against the best amateurs in the country and other countries, and I was as good as anybody that I saw. So I, I kind of felt that I was ready then. And when the Red Sox drafted me as a junior, I was ready to go. I mean, there was nothing I had to prove at the collegiate level. And I talked to Coach Dato about it. He said that it's a good organization. And he wanted me to, he, of course, he'd love for me to stay, but he thought it was a good move for me to, to sign as well and, and get going. And um, I was 21, and I was just, let's go to the big leagues right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. Uh, I was pretty confident. You know, I never said that to anybody, but that's the way I felt inside. Um, that I was ready, and I always played with older guys, and that was not a problem. You know, if you throw the ball over the plate, I don't care who you are, you know, I can hit it. So that's kind of what I felt like, and, you know, it didn't take, I didn't take – I got to the big leagues when I was 22. So, uh, you know, it, it didn't take long, but uh, I would have further get gone right from – like Dave Winfield, you know, right from college to the big leagues. But it, I guess I needed some seasoning according to the Sox. Were you looking for the Dodgers to take you? Yes, um, I had a great relationship uh, with the Dodgers. Um, they were very tight. Um, the O'Malley's and Campanas with uh, Rod Dato at uh, USC and and Lasorda, they were all pals. And um, they were actually going to draft me. And uh, Gail Henley was the scout that was looking at me with the Dodgers. And I know he wanted to take me in the first round. And the club said, ah, maybe I... They were, I forget who they were going to draft, somebody else. I forget who it was. Ted anyway, Farr. They, they, they thought that they could get me in the second round. And um, so I guess the Red Sox and the uh, Dodgers were like boom, boom. And the Sox picked right before the Red Sox, and the Red Sox got me before the Dodgers get me in the second round. And and um, they weren't very happy. The Dodgers weren't. Neither, and my uh, scout, Gail Hanley, wasn't, he was really not happy about it, but that's worked out and you know, I, I could have been a Dodger there's no question I, I, I could have played center for those guys but you know when you, you don't when you're uh, 21 years old you, you go where they they, they assign you basically and that's what happened yeah, and, and Fenway's still a little more hitter friendly than Dodger Stadium I would think well you know Fenway uh, I, I've seen it on TV but until you walk on that field you really can't appreciate the shapes and the sizes, the angles, and all those things about Fenway. Um, it doesn't really come across on TV unless you're really on the field. And coming out of the first base dugout, the wall looked like it was right in front of you uh, <laughs> in left field. And I, I played a wall in, at our field at, at USC. The right field wall was like that. It was chain link and wood, not tin and cement, but it was about 30 feet tall. So I was used to playing balls off of that so that was not an issue but um you had to learn there was a lot of things to learn there was tons of angles out there in and wind currents and things and dodger stadium was was pretty benign it was 
like most of the stadiums in the National League, um, they're symmetrical and there was nothing really unique about it. Other than the fact that when you slid in the infield, they used to have crushed brick and it would tear your leg apart um, in Dodger Stadium. That was fairly unique. Um, but other than that, uh, I, the American League, just about every ballpark had something unique about it. Uh, National League were cookie cutters. So yeah. I, I was really happy to be uh, in American League. I, I like those little things, especially being in the outfield. Uh, it's not boring. It's, it's fun to have those those kinds of challenges. But there was no padding on those walls, from what I remember, pretty much in uh, Fenway no, Park. No, it was, there were, no, there was no padding anywhere. It was concrete for the first 12 feet um, in left field and left center. Um, and in center, uh, there was, we had this, uh, uh, this uh, we call it a big old um, steel door where they used to keep equipment under the center field uh, bleachers. And that thing was made out of iron. Um, and they had a ladder that came down that was in the field of play. And the, gosh, there was all kinds of stuff that you had to, you know, worry about running it. Oh, I, but you know, I, when I was in college, nothing was padded. Everything was cinder block walls. So, you know, I hit uh, a number of walls in, um, in college that were not padded. So I, I had football mentality playing center field. So and those things, they really didn't bother me too much. Did you get more concussions playing football or baseball? <laughs> <laughs> well, I got knocked out uh, three times in, in uh, football. I never got knocked out in, ba- in baseball. Uh, my my old middle linebacker, this guy named Anthony, he was about six two and about two fifty five, and I was a buck seventy then. And every time I'd, I'd I'd fill on a sweep, and he'd come from the inside, and he hit me in the side of the head twice and knocked me out. You know, I said, "Damn, <laughs> hit that guy, not me." <laughs> I got knocked out. I got I got dinged pretty good in football, but um, my dad said I had a hard head, so I, I guess it didn't bother <laughs> me too much. I mean, besides, in those days, they only call concussions. You know, you know, if you knew who you are and what quarter right. it was and what the score was, you went back in. Right. If you're able to stand upright and, and put one foot in front of the other, you were good to go. Yeah. yeah. I remember one time I was looking out the ear hole with my helmet. Get spun around. <laughs> it's like a periscope. I was like, hey, look at that. <laughs> you didn't last long in the minor leagues. What was your minor league experience like? Um, I, I didn't like it very much. Uh, I didn't sign until mid-July of 73, so I was, went to AA, which was uh, Bristol, Connecticut, home of ESPN now. And um, really nice little field to play there. Team was terrible. And I was there about geez, maybe a month and a half. And then um, got Jimmy and I got called up to Pawtucket for the AAA playoffs. And uh, we actually won the AAA World Series that year in 73. And uh, so it didn't last too long, although it's, a, like I said, last place team, eh, bus rides, oi. You know, I didn't have that at SC, so I didn't care for that much. And so they start the next year at AAA, and I thought, well, this this team probably flies a lot more. No, wrong. We were we were frugal. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We'd have 15, 16, 17-hour bus rides in AAA. It's like, oh, this is not, this is not what I signed up for. I was not liking it at all. <laughs> I um so. I don't know what I learned uh, in the minors. I think just how to play every day and yeah. how to try to sleep on a bus. 
But other than that, I don't learn much. <laughs> you speak of Jimmy. You're talking about Jim Rice. Could you t- yeah. tell from the first time you played on the same team with him, hey, this guy's pretty good too? Well, Jimmy, I, we met in uh, AA, and um, he'd, he'd, he'd signed out of high school. And God, he's, he was a big guy, obviously. You know, he's huge arms, and you could see he had power. When he hit the ball, it had a different sound to it. Um, and I had I'd never seen anybody as strong as Jimmy before. And this was days before guys lifted weights. He was just naturally strong. But you know, he had some issues in the outfield. He wasn't. Um, <laughs> he wasn't. Uh, let's see. How should I say it? He wore a helmet out there. <laughs> <laughs> remember we had the helmets with no flaps and it looked kind of cool right. well he wore that out there and I, after I watched him for a while I said oh I can see why he wore that but uh, he really improved when he got to the big leagues as far as uh, his outfield play but yeah he was he was strong and he was he was tearing the cover off it even the double A and he did the same thing in triple A you know he just overpowered guys you know he'd pitch them inside and if they jammed him it didn't matter he'd still get it in the outfield or if they made a mistake he did it nine miles so yeah, he was a, he was the strongest guy that I'd ever seen. When you got called up at the end of the '74 season and uh, batted 419 in 51 uh, plate appearances, did you say to yourself, "I, I told you I, I was ready"? Yeah. See. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was uh, interesting when I got called up because Jimmy got called up a, a couple weeks before me and. Um, he didn't play much either, and then I, I got there and I sat on the bench for like two weeks, and the team just was struggling. Uh, God, no one was hitting at all. Finally, DJ Daryl Johnson threw me in there, and and I I hit right away, um, and it was I was exciting. Gosh, it, I I just had this rush of adrenaline at the end of the year, and and I, I felt good. I was strong, and um, I, it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, you know, because no one else was doing anything. And and I, I wasn't surprised, to be honest with you. you know, it didn't surprise me. It's just baseball. It's just at a different venue. And gosh, I said, geez, the lights are better. The balls are better. You know, it feels better. Everything was about it was better than the minor leagues. So it, it didn't, um, you know, guys threw more strikes. So I, I liked that a, a lot. And so I felt pretty good about uh, going into the 75 season. I mean, you had you in the outfield and center. You had Jim Rice and a young Dwight Evans also. I mean, they had to be one of the top outfields of that era of all time. I mean, you think of 22, 23, 24-year-olds. Yeah, um, I agree. We didn't really know how good we were until years later. And I, I told Jimmy this, and I told Dwight, too. I said, I, I'd take us, the three of us against any outfield ever. Any era, you know, the things that we could do. Um, we hit all of us hit over 300 homers in, in an era where with big ballparks and, and tough pitching, and um, we all could throw. We all could hit hit for power average. Um, we could throw runners out. We all played well defensively, and we played great as a unit. You played in an era where the parks were a lot bigger, and the pitchers, I mean, basically didn't have the advantages that they have today. Well, you know what? Uh, plus, uh, in, especially in the '70s, a lot of guys, especially in the American League, because the ballparks were huge. You know, you look at uh, Old Comiskey was 440 the center before they moved that fence in. It was like 400 in the alleys. And there were a lot of parks like that. Detroit was 440 the center, 
Uh, there was all kinds of things like this. There was lots of room. So pitchers, they actually wanted you to hit the ball. They didn't want to strike you out like today. So a lot of guys threw sinkers and sliders. And when you throw sinkers, that, that means a lot of guys docker, can doctor the ball up because now, like Gaylord, you, you, the ball's going down anywhere. Well, so let's just make it go down a little faster. You know, either maybe a, a wet substance on the ball or maybe you have your going to your carpentry tool set and, you know, sandpaper, nail file, that kind of stuff. The balls are always being cut. Doing all kinds of movement. Today, not so much because everybody's about throwing out 100 miles an hour. That's why everybody's blowing out. So it, it's a big difference. Uh, they want you to hit the ball, fat part of the park, and just throw the ball so it sinks. And, and it's, so it's, it was harder to hit home runs. Well, and the nice thing about the American League was it was pre- predominantly real grass. You didn't, Kansas City had the artificial turf. But but that was about it. Whereas in the National League, especially in all those cookie cutter stadiums, you know, you're playing on concrete. Yeah, that's right. Well, there's there's that's hard on your body. There's no question about it. But it's great if you're a hitter. Um, <laughs> the balls. If you ever were on those fields, golly, I don't know what was underneath them. It felt like concrete. But the ball just shot through the infield. I mean, it, if you didn't hit it right at the infield, it was through. Whew. And plus, in the summertime, the heat comes off that stuff. And it's like uh, a launching pad. The the balls just shoot out of those parks. Wow, I couldn't believe it. Uh, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, uh, you, you get that hot air coming off that turf, and the ball just whew, it just carried. So you know that that cuts both ways. Yeah, it, it, it's detrimental to the guy's health, but if, as a hitter, whew, it was a big boom. <laughs> Who came up with the nickname, the Gold Dust Twins, for you and Jim Rice? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I forget which paper um, started that thing, and they were trying to uh, create some kind of name for us. And you know, I don't. Some fan did. I, I don't know who. I don't. Nobody's ever claimed it, as far as I know. Um, but yeah, it just kind of stuck uh, somewhere during that first year. Somebody coined that phrase, and we've been that way ever since. And in fact, every time I see Jimmy, he goes, "Hey, twin, how you doing?" <laughs> Is it possible to describe that 1975 season when you were the rookie of the year and the most valuable player, you know, an accomplishment that's basically unheard of? It was, um, yeah, you know, those the, the awards and that kind of stuff happened afterwards. And um, I, I, I never never really played for those things, even as a kid. So that, that was gravy, but... Uh, it was so much fun because we had so many young guys on the team. It was a really nice blend of veteran players, you know, Stremski and Petroselli and guys like that. And our pitching staff was pretty savvy. Um, but we had a core of young guys, you know, Jimmy, myself, Dwight, Rick Burleson, uh, Timmy Blackwell. Um, there was a number, even Cecil Cooper was just a couple year guy. And Pudge was only like 25 or 26. So we had a whole bunch of guys that were pretty young. Uh, so it was, it wasn't just one guy being a rookie. It was a whole bunch of us. And uh, so was, we could all hang out and experience uh, the season together. And, and that's kind of what I did at SC. So it was really just fun. And, and being in the hunt uh, just about the whole year uh, for the pennant, um, that's, that's what I play for. You know, you, you play to win. And, boy, it was just – and the crowds were great. And it was just, uh, it was just a fun time. It really was. Again, you made those World Series, but you just couldn't get over that hump. How hard was it on you guys? Well, it was brutal on me. 
uh, I'm sure it was tough on the town that <clears throat> I'd never lost a championship game before. Um, you know, in my days at USC, even when I told you we won the AAA World Series, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd never lost those, any kind of game like that. So that was the first for me, and I, I really had never experienced um, losing a big game. So, uh, yeah, boy, I, I didn't even know how to react. I just I remember just sitting right in front of my locker, and, and the season's over, and, and it's done. And it's just like, ooh. But then I said, well, there's a silver lining here. We had such a young team. I figured, well, we'll come back and we'll just, we'll get them next time. Um, it just didn't happen. You know, just in those days, there was no uh, wild card team. And I think probably my time in with the Red Sox, we probably averaged like 95 wins. And we only got to the playoff one time. So it was tough sledding. You know, Baltimore was always tough in those days, and the Yankees were tough. Uh, it was just the beast of the East is what they call it, and it was it was brutal. You could win a lot of games and not get to the playoffs, which happened to us. Game six of that '75 series, when Fisk hit the, the game-winning home run, you had a pretty good uh, view of it from the on-deck circle. Yeah, well, we were talking, um, watching Darcy warm up, and you know, he said, uh, you know. I'm going to get on, you you drive me in. Yeah, well, he kind of forgot the part about me driving him in. But uh, <laughs> we were watching him, and I, I noticed, you know, Darcy had, had thrown two shutout innings, he, and he's a sicker baller, like I was telling you. Um, but um, Pudge is a low ball hitter, and he threw it down and in, and Pudge just dropped a head on it. And as soon as he hit it, you know, I knew it had the the length to get out, but I didn't know if it was going to stay fair, but he hit it so hard. It didn't have a chance to hook foul, really. It just was a bullet. It took all like a second and a half. Uh, but, yeah, I, I was always cheating towards home plate so I could see what the pitcher's ball was doing anyway. So, I, yeah, I had a really good view of it. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a pretty good vertical leap on that one. <laughs> the following season when uh, Don Zimmer replaced Daryl Johnson – what what was that like for you guys? Well, Zim was uh, our third base coach, and you know, just basically one of the guys. And what happens when uh, a coach takes over as manager? Then he becomes a different person. You can't just hang with the guys like he did as a coach. Um, he used to play cards with us, and we used to try to take his money all the time as our our third base coach. But now he's a manager, and you know, you don't talk to him the same way. He's a different guy. He's he's got different pressures and. Um, you know, now he's starting to listen to talk shows and things are getting to him that he never used to happen to him when he was our third base coach. So I like him a lot, um, but that was that was a tough tough time uh, to be a manager in Beantown. You know, when the team had never won and expectations were high, and he took everything personally. And I, I love the guy, but uh, ooh, <laughs> he just. Uh, I wish we would have just turned off the radio and not listened to that stuff and just hung with the guys, and I think it would have been okay. How hard was the Boston media on that team? Really tough. Um, you know, if, if the club itself didn't like you, then they would just – that would permeate into the press. Um, so they kind of dictated – they didn't dictate, but they had a say in what was being written, I think, back in those days. And, and – Gosh, I don't know how many uh, beat writers we have from different newspapers in New England, but there was there was a bunch. And I know every Yankee game that we played, 
or Yankee series, there are probably 50 reporters in there uh, just for a regular season games. So it was intense. Yeah, like you said, that media was absolutely brutal. But again, I mean, you had a lot of personalities on that team with Jerry, with Jim Rice, with uh, Carl Yastrzemski, Carlton Fisk there, Luis Tiant. Yeah, Bill Lee. Yeah, Bill was, you know, uh, yeah, we had a, a, an experienced uh, bunch of guys, and they were pretty savvy with the media, and, and Bill loved to play the media. Well, Bill, Bill's an SC guy, too, very, very intelligent, and uh, he loved sparring with the media. I mean, that's what he, he was, I remember, I forget what it was, he said, uh, before he pitches, he puts marijuana on his cornflakes, or he did some crazy thing. Um, but he was always saying crazy stuff just to get a reaction. And he could do it. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he got the nickname Spaceman. And I think yeah, it was probably... Well, <laughs> but, you know, the, the problem was is Billy is really, really intelligent, and he's fairly political, and uh, so it was a, pol- a very political time um, in Beantown. There was busing issue was a big deal back then, and there's all kinds of stuff going on, and and he's he's he used to spar with the, the mayor. <laughs> well, like you say, we have a lot of different personalities, so it was always fun to come to the clubhouse. <laughs> you, you had to be relieved though when you went to the Angels, thinking, "Okay, I'm going back home here. I'm going to play for a guy who was a Cowboy star, him and his wife with uh, Gene Autry." And- well, actually, you know, the, the Cowboy was uh, he was a great owner. Um, you know, I, I played in an era where. You know, players and owners oftentimes didn't get along very often. It was pretty contentious, you know, where there was either a strike or a lockout. or There's all kinds of things going on. We were fighting for every little thing that we could get to because they had us. Um, well, they had us in, in back in those days, and we, we were fighting as, as a union. So to come out and play for Mr. Autry was uh, a real treat. He was really a gentleman and a nice guy. He'd come in and tell stories and... Uh, he was just a, a just a great owner. He really was. We we really wanted to win for that guy. He was uh, he was very special, very special. We're going to take a short break, and we come back. The other half of that dynamic duel with Boston in the '70s and early '80s, Jim Rice. 